0: Chapter 11 Once I escaped from an underground hiding place by telling a story. It was a bit exaggerated. It was a bit fanciful. It was my imagination getting a bit carried away. It was a lie. Barney, I whisper, tugging his sleeve as he creeps up the cellar steps. He spins round, startled, and nearly drops his, his candle. He thought I was asleep, like the other kids. I need to come with you. I whisper. Barney frowns. I start to explain why I have to go with him. He puts his finger on his lips and signals for me to follow him up the steps. I climb after him through the doorway in the ceiling and find myself in a huge room full of dusty old machinery. Barney puts his leather bag down, gently lowers the trap door and locks it with a padlock. He sees me looking around and points to machinery. Printing presses, he says, for printing books. Not now, before. I know what he means before the Nazis went right off books and Jews. So, says Barney quietly, why do you need to come with me? I take a breath. I need to find my parents, I say, urgently, because of my rare rare illness. Barney thinks about this. He gives me a look that I'm fairly sure is sympathetic. This is going well. Mum and dad have got my pills, I say, for my rare illness. If I don't take my pills, my rare illness will get worse and I could die. Barney thinks about this some more. What exactly is this rare illness? He asks. Suddenly I realise what he's concerned about, the other kids catching it and him. Don't worry, I say. He doesn't invade other people. Barney's eyes are twinkling in the candlelight. he almost looks amused. I feel indigent. People shouldn't be amused by other people's rare illnesses. If I don't find Mum and Dad and take those pills in the next two hours, I say I'll get warts growing inside my tummy, and my pea will turn green. I stop myself saying any more i have I may have gone a bit too far already. Barney is actually smiling now. Zelda's right, he says. You're a good storyteller. Poop, I did go too far. Barney suddenly looks serious. She also told me, he says, that you haven't seen your parents for nearly four years. I feel myself blushing in the candlelight. What a stupid storytelling mistake. That was as stupid as Father Ludwig telling us, Adolf Hitler is a great man. Desperately, I tried to think of a way to make the story better. Would Barney believe me if I tell him that I only have to take the pills once every four years? I don't think so. This is pathetic. I can't tell a decent story to save my life anymore. Or mum and dad's. Barney puts his hand on my shoulder and I wait to be escorted back down into the cellar. But that doesn't happen. Barney hands me the candle, picks up his bag and steers me towards a big rusty door in the wall of the printing factory. I'm glad you want to come with me, Felix. He says, why? I say, surprised. Bardney suddenly looks very serious. I have to confess something. He says, I read one of the stories and I read one of the stories in your notebook. I stare at him stunned. He just doesn't seem like a sort of person who'd read a private notebook without permission. I'm sorry, he says, but I wanted to find out what I could do about your parents. Before I can say anything about my stories being dumb or not true, Barney grips my shoulder and looks me right in the eyes. You're a very good storyteller, he says. I don't know what to say. Before I can think of something, Barney goes on. The reason I'm glad you're coming with me, Felix, he says, is because I need your help. We pause in the doorway of the printing factory while Barney looks up and down the dark street. In the moonlight, I can see his leather jacket has a small hole in the back. I wonder if it's a bullet hole. Did Barney get shot once? Did his family? Is that why he's looking after other people's kids in a secret cellar? It might be not be a bully, bullet hole. A candle flame could have done it. Or a rat. Barney might be... A teacher or something. The Nazis might have burned all the books in the, his school, so he brought some of them, the kids, here to hide them. This is the dangerous part, whispers Barney, still squinting up and down the street. If anyone sees us leaving this building, we're sunk. Or he could be a sailor. Come on, says Barney. All clear, let's go. The streets of the city are filthy, scraps of paper and rubbish everywhere. Some of the buildings have got bits missing from them. The whole place is deserted. I know it's night and everything, but we haven't seen a single person apart from a couple of dead bodies on the street corner. I manage not to cry. Barney makes us cross over to the other side, but it's all right. I've already seen they aren't my mum and dad. Where are all the other people, I say? Indoors, says Barney. There's a curfew, that means everybody has to stay indoors after said at night. We go down a narrow laneway with tall apartment buildings on both sides. I can I can't see a single person through any of the windows. I read once that I read once that cities have electric lights, but there doesn't seem to be much electric. E- e- electricity going on around here finding mum and dad isn't going to be easy even if i can slip away from barney while he's concentrating on getting food what happens if people don't do the curfew i ask they get shot says bernie i look at him in alarm i can tell from his voice he's not joking he holds up his leather bag we'll be all right he says I wonder what's in the bag. Money, maybe? Or something the Nazis need? I hope it's not guns they could use to shoot book- Jewish booksellers. I changed the subject. Why is there a curfew? I asked. Dad taught me to use a very every new word as much as possible after hearing it for the first time. This is a ghetto, says. Barney. It's a part of the city where the Jewish have been sent to uh, to live. The Nazis make the rules here. I think about this. Barney knocks on a door. And while we wait, he turns to me in with a serious expression. Felix, he says, you might not be able to find your parents. I know that's hard to hard thing to hear, but you might not. It is hard. It is a hard thing to hear. Luckily, he's wrong. Jewish people who've been um, brought to the city, I say, are they all in this ghetto or are there other ghetto curfew places as well? Barney doesn't answer. Perhaps I didn't say the new words right. A woman leads us into the back room in the apartment. There are several people in, in the room, all wearing coats and all standing round a bed. The man lying on the bed is wearing a coat too. And holding his head and groaning. Lamp, please, says Barney. Somebody hands Barney an oil lamp. He bends over the bed and looks into the man's mouth. The man groans even louder. I glance at the other people. They don't look very well either. Though none of them are groaning. Barney opens his bags and takes out a bundle of metal poles and leather straps. He fits the poles together using little metal wheels to make a kind of robot arm. From his bag, he takes the foot pedal from a Singer sewing machine like Mrs Glick used to have. He connects the poles to the pedal with the leather straps. My imagination is in a frenzy. Is Barney going to show these people how to mend their clothes, their coats and fairly ragged? Or is this a machine he's invented that people grow food in their own homes? There are lots of damp patches on these walls, and these people do look very hungry. After all, this is 1942, so anything's possible. Salt water, says Barney. While a couple of, people, of the people set water from the bucket, Barney attaches a short needle to the end of the robot arm and pedals the sewing machine thing with his foot. The straps make the needle spin round very fast, a loud humming, very fast with a loud humming noise. Suddenly I realise what Barney has put together, a dentist's drill. Thank you for listening to chapter 11, part 1.